Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. It's a great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of character, and they showed it. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right Presented by Syracuse.com and NYUP.com. The Bills make me wanna... What is up, everybody? Welcome into Shout, a Buffalo football podcast brought to you, as always, on this Wednesday night. The Staple Show is back in your life by Tops Friendly Markets. And right now, you can still enter for a chance to win $1 million. Each week, Kings Hawaiian is pitting two city sliders against each other in the ultimate showdown, and you get to help decide the winner. Vote weekly for your favorite regional slider for a chance to win all season long and earn entries toward the $1 million prize. Explore the interactive stadium to play games, get recipes, share photos, and more. Visit topsmarkets.com slash red zone to enter. Man, $1 million. Uh, Ryan, it's funny. The Bills could use $1 million, right? The, the cap numbers just <laughs> yeah. came out, and we were talking about that a little bit before the show. And, you know, the the, the official number is 224.8 million the bills roll over two million from from last year so that official cat number is 228 million dollars and you know the bills are considerably over the cap Ryan 20 million yeah. to be exact with that top 51 number uh but we were talking about it there's there's one move that will lead to you know uh getting back to zero here and that has to do with the quarterback yeah, absolutely. And that's the beauty of these monster contracts that you can give these quarterbacks is you can restructure their deals. Uh, we've seen quarterbacks throughout the league do this year in, year out. And you're right, restructuring Josh Allen alone will get the bills under that cap figure. Uh, and then there's other players, too, that they can restructure. There's uh, pay cuts they can offer. There's cutting of players they can offer. So, you know, any Bills fans sitting there saying, oh, man, they're in a rough spot cap-wise, it could be significantly worse. The Bills, like you said, one move can get themselves under the cap and then a few other moves, they can free up a, a decent amount of money. They're not going to be big spenders in free agency, but they might be able to add a offensive lineman to the mix that they could come in and compete immediately. Another weapon maybe for Josh Allen at some position, a uh, receiver or tight end, whatever they think is, is the best available at the right price. So uh, there, there's going to be some money to spend. As they say in Arrested Development, there's always money in the banana stand. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, and we're going to spend the next month really diving into all of the different options. And, you know, that's what, you know, we've started to do, Ryan, as we start to get, you know, uh, up to speed uh, on some draft stuff. We're going to, you know, really dive into the Senior Bowl this week, uh, probably talk a little bit about it on a show next week. And then free agency, obviously, like how the bills, you know, Brandon Bean said it, they're not expecting to make some big splash in free agency, but I think you got to figure out a way to move money around to bring in the kind of players at the, at certain positions to 
make an impact. And one thing, you know, one big overarching theme of this show tonight is going to be about watching what happened on championship Sunday, which we did, you know, on Sunday between the Eagles uh, and Niners and then the chiefs and the Bengals and extrapolate some of that stuff out and say, okay, what do the bills need to learn from the four teams that were remaining and essentially the two teams that are left now that are going to play in the Super Bowl, the chiefs and the Eagles uh, a little over a week. What can they learn from that as they adjust and they add um, for next season? And one thing in particular that I think we could start off with, and I tweeted about it and, you know, the mentions and, you know, the, the viral nature of the tweet, it, it, it exploded on Sunday was you look at uh, Marquez Valdez Scantling, right? Very under the radar signing the, the chiefs last season, they, they or last off season, they trade away Tyreek Hill. They have to completely remake that receiver room. They bring in uh, Juju Smith-Schuster, obviously. They had McCole Hardman. They drafted a couple guys. Then they bring in uh, Valdez Scantley. They eventually, you know, a trade for Kadarius Tony. We can get into that as well. But he goes in there and Championship Sunday when you really need it. They paid him three years, thirty million dollars. You know, a modest price tag for a reliable number two wide receiver. And he delivered in a big moment. And, you know, it got me thinking like, what does that look like for the bills? Like to me, I think Gabe Davis has been more productive than McCole Hardman, but in a lot of ways, McCole Hardman was like that wide receiver too. Like you're sitting there with Juju Smith Schuster who had had a big season before. So he was the de facto one after Tyree kill left, mm-hmm. but they had more work to do. And so they went out and they signed Valdez Scantling. They paid the premium for that. And part of the reason they were able to do that because they've hit on both sides of the line in the draft. We'll get to that as well. But I think eyeing free agency, the bills have to ask themselves a question. How much do you trust what you have on the roster? And Gabe Davis is part of this conversation. And then how much do you want to go out and get a four, three, four, four guy to add into the mix? Because that's not Davis. He's four, five, six. I'm looking at a DJ Chark. I'm looking at a Paris Campbell. Obviously, two different ends of the spectrum at what you're what sure. that's going to cost. But I think you got to start asking yourself that question. Yeah, you need to bring in some speed. You need to bring in some other weapons. And you mentioned it, two different sides of the, the spectrum there for those receivers. DJ Shark had a pretty nice year this uh, this season in Detroit and, and made the most of his opportunities. So he would be a little more costly. But yeah, it, it doesn't hurt to find some speed options there. It doesn't hurt to uh, maybe go a little bit, go up a tier, I guess is the best way of saying it, in terms of the, the offensive lineman you're targeting. I know last year, they signed Roger Saffold, but Brandon Bean's MO since becoming GM has been adding a lot of offensive linemen, uh, veterans, let them compete and then see who's left standing. And a lot of the times it's been a lot of average players uh, to maybe below average players that don't make the squad whatsoever. I think he could go out and maybe uh, attack one of the better offensive linemen, whether it's a guard, whether it's a tackle, uh, wh- whatever the team thinks is the most important matter. And, you know, someone out of that top 50 type of list, go out and get that guy. There's ways you can structure contracts so the cap hit this year isn't significant and uh, you pay him on the back end. There's ways around this. But I would hope that after watching these championship games, the Bills see first and foremost that, you know, in the uh, AFC game, the game's won on the lines. And Cincinnati was missing three starters again, and it looked it this week. Uh, the, the way the Chiefs were able to attack them early and get after Burrow, uh, almost forced an early interception, really should have ended up with three interceptions in that game if you're the Chiefs. And then obviously on the other side of the ball, uh, it's, it's important to be able to get after the quarterback as well. And yes, you know, guys like Chris Jones don't, uh, grow on trees. They're special players, but the same thing in Philadelphia, 
they were fi- finding ways to get after the quarterback and, and disrupting the players when they still had quarterbacks in the game because the 49ers obviously lost a few in that matchup. But the, the line play really stood out to me on Championship Sunday, and the Bills have tried to attack the defensive line. Uh, it was night and day with Von Miller this past season, obviously, but the offensive line is nowhere near where it needs to be. No, when and when you mention like the the Eagles, for instance, and in the in the way that they affected that game, obviously Brock Purdy going out and them having to change their entire operation that affected things. Mm-hmm. But you look at their defensive line and and how it's kind of structured. They they've brought in some vets. I mean, Indomitong Sue feels a lot like Jordan Phillips, right? Like the Bills when they went out and signed Von Miller, I thought that that paid dividends for as long as he was in the lineup. I thought they were a different defense when Von Miller played. And obviously, you would have liked to have seen what it was going to look like with Micah Hyde. But like some things stick out to me as we kind of look, start eyeing towards free agency. One guy that I've written about now, two separate occasions that I thought would be because of the athletic profile, a perfect fit for at a, at a value, at a bargain for Brandon Bean to target as he was kind of looking like you broke the bake for Vaughn and it worked, right? Like right. that was, but it also now limits what you can do in future years. Look at the, the, the contract for Hassan Reddick. I got to bring it up. Um, he was a superstar. He was an absolute freak of nature superstar in that game. And part of it is because he's playing on an absolutely crazy, talented defensive line. And I'm going to look up the contract because it is a little bit pricier than the one that the Cardinals signed him to initially. But it's it's certainly not what the Bills are paying Von Miller, which essentially is a three-year deal at about $60 million. The Eagles signed Hassan Reddick to a three-year deal, $45 million. And only 30 million steal. of that is guaranteed. Absolute steal. And listen, I get it. There was there was the, the pushback on that that guy was that he wasn't a scheme fit, right? He came from a three-four. He was more of a outside linebacker. But what we learned about him over the last three seasons is that he is kind of like multi-dimensional. You could fit him in. What he's really good at is putting his hand on the ground flying off the line of scrimmage and getting after the quarterback. And that's what I think the Bills need. I think that, and this goes into another conversation we can get into, and I want to stick on, on Reddick here and, and what we learned from these two teams. But that's you you got to learn that lesson that maybe if there's a guy that you know you think can help you, but he doesn't necessarily make sense from a scheme perspective, you got to do your due diligence to figure out, can we make what he does work for us and adapt to the player? Yeah, and, and that's huge in today's NFL is being able to adapt to a player's skill set, not trying to bring someone in and, and make them fit what you do ever, all the time. You have to have flexibility, and I think you know you and I were talking about this. The Bills' defense is a great example of that. They Throughout the regular season, they play in a certain scheme. They play a certain personnel. Uh, more than any anything else, and it works in the regular season. You can get you know 13 wins like they did this year. But come playoff time, you, you have to have a little bit of versatility in terms of what you can do, what kind of looks can you give. Man versus zone as well, not just even the personnel on the field. And I feel like the Bills kind of get stuck in their ways in terms of the, the defense, the personnel, and it comes back and bites them. And in, in a lot of these championship games, they're giving up a lot of points or divisional games as well. They're giving up a lot of points, 27 points this year. They gave up a lot in the overtime loss to the Chiefs the year before, uh, plenty in the championship game to the Chiefs the year before that. It gets them to a certain point, but then because they're not willing to adapt, willing to change things up to a certain extent, uh, it comes back and bites them. There's also this really, really important piece, and I hate to belabor a point that we've been on the last two episodes, but you have to be able to find players in the draft and then develop them. 
like especially at the you know the tip of the spear as Sean McDermott likes to say and you look at the Eagles and the Chiefs and and those are the the perfect examples to use because they're playing in the Super Bowl next week one example I want to caveat I want to throw in there on the Chiefs is that when they did take a free agent swing it was a big one and it paid off you know Joe Tooney was the top of the Mm. market offensive lineman when they signed him right bringing in a guy like that like it's a little bit different than Mitch Morse right and by the way I think Mitch Morse has been outstanding for the Bills in so many different ways as a player I think his level of play has been consistent I don't think that he is an elite player at his position but I think he's a really good player and he's been important to the development of Josh Allen what he means in the locker room so many things that go into it so I'm not necessarily dinging them on that signing but I think you can make the argument that he wasn't even the top center on the market the year that he came out. I think Paradis before the injury was considered to be that that bigger target. Now it didn't materialize that like that. Mitch Morris went on to become probably the best of that free agent class at the position. But Tooney was a difference maker for them. And I think it elevated the level of play of a young Creed Humphrey that you were developing, you drafted in the third round, so on and so forth. Those are the kind of moves you got to pair together. You got to find talent. You got to be able to develop them. And then when you do take a swing in free agency, it's got to be one that hits. And the ones that the Chiefs and the Eagles have made, they've hit. They've hit in free agency. They've drafted really well. Uh, you know, we we've talked about the draft. The, the Bills haven't had a Pro Bowler, and again, Pro Bowlers maybe not a, a point to to <laughs> use right now. What a week uh, to use that on, one, huh? Yeah, what a week to use that. But since 2018, so they're hitting on every now and then. The Bills seem to hit on those day three picks. They find some really good value, but they're whiffing more times than not. It feels like in on the first two days, and that's where you really need to make those hits, get those contributors that can get on the field uh, and make big plays. And, and 2022 draft, obviously way too early to tell. I like what I saw from Kyrie Elam when he was out there on the field. I like James Cook. Uh, we can talk about Terrell Bernard and the fact that he couldn't get a jersey in, in the AFC divisional round. But there's other ones. You know, you look at AJ Epinesa and they yes, that was a COVID year. You look at Boogie Basham. You look at these guys that are rotational pieces, not playing significant roles not doing enough at the the top end of this draft. And you compare it to the draft class that the Chiefs just had. The fact that the Chiefs have up to 12 picks in this year's draft, which they can package and move up and attack the draft uh, and fill in any pieces that they feel they have to address, whether they win or lose the Super Bowl, where the Bills are are kind of, you know, I don't want to say they're stuck, but they have limited uh, resources in the draft this year compared to the Chiefs. They have limited cap space after signing Von Miller to the big deal last year. Uh, so they're in a tough spot. So this is going to be an offseason where really Brandon Bean and that front office staff are going to have to you know, work some magic, show that they can hit on free agents that can be contributors. I don't know if they can go out and get a Mike McGlinchey, for instance, at offensive tackle. Uh, but there's some pretty good offensive guards that are available in, in this draft uh, or in this draft. I'm sorry, in free agency that they can hit upon. They can attack the the offensive line in the draft as well. A lot of guys at the senior bowl this uh, weekend that we'll be watching that I think could be good fits for the bills. So it's, it's a crucial offseason. the most important offseason for the bills uh, and, and Brandon Bean specifically since 2018, when he drafted Josh Allen. Some people dropped some questions. Uh, I tweeted out something earlier today about the bills rookie class uh, right before the show. Actually, my thoughts on, the way that the Eagles have built their offensive line, their starting five offensive linemen in the conference championship game were all draft picks, their own draft picks. 
The only first round pick on that line is Lane Johnson. Everybody else is, you know, uh, Jason Kelsey, fifth round pick. Uh, Their left guard is a third round pick. Their left tackle is a seventh round pick. And listen, that's, he is an elite player. He's turned into an elite player. That's a, a, a hit. It reminds you a lot of Jason Peters, Jason, right? Yep, Undrafted that. guy that ends up becoming this outstanding player. But I think there's a there's a problem here. And and you, the Bills are going to have to figure out what the problem is. It's either you're not getting the right players or you're not, you don't have the people on staff to develop them. And we see some of the pieces starting to move. You know, we mentioned Jim Salgado uh, reportedly that still hasn't been announced by the Bills, but uh, also uh, was let go. Um, and maybe you start to think like, OK, one of the first things in their evaluation before DeMar Hamlin got hurt, the in, um, you know, the inconsistency and the the failure to make an impact of Jaquan Johnson when he played Cam Lewis, a couple of untimely mistakes when he was in the game at safety. Maybe you're looking to bring in different players to develop your back part of your defense a little bit more from a positional role. And that's something that's going to be interesting to watch as well. Yeah. Again, it goes back to what I said. The bills need to have the off season of all off seasons. And I'm not trying to make it sound like they're in dire straits or anything like that. This is still a team that will be competing the AFC for the Super Bowl next year. But when you look at the overall landscape of how these other teams have drafted and developed, the Bills have kind of fallen behind that uh, in, in that regard. They're not hitting on as many guys uh, that can step right in and be significant contributors, and that's what they need this year. I, I don't believe the talk, you know, and again, a ton of respect for Brandon Bean. When he, when he says, you know, well, with the roster we have, it's hard to get rookies on the field, and I get there are more opportunities in KC, but other teams that have really good rosters – are finding ways to get their rookies on the field and get them more snaps than what we saw from Kyrie Elam, what we saw from James Cook, what we saw from Terrell Bernard. And that's that's a low bar to set there for the third round pick. You need to draft guys that can come in and, and contribute immediately, not guys that you're hoping can develop and play a role down the line, not someone drafting saying, well, he was really impressive when we worked him out. We think if, if either Milano or Edmonds uh, get injured, he can play, and, and I'm only specifically talking about Bernard now uh, because I was just mentioning him last, but the Bills are lacking in that regard right now. So they need to hit home runs on both fronts this offseason. Yeah, and you mentioned Bernard, and for me, that's something as you sit over the last couple of weeks, and I and I put out the – it was the side-by-side side side of all the stats for the Kansas City Chiefs rookie class in the championship game versus all of the Bills' rookies' stats in the um, divisional round game. And for the Chiefs, you're looking at Isaiah Pacheco, 85 yards from scrimmage. Jalen Watson, a couple of pass breakups and an interception. Cornerback Joshua Williams, interception. Cornerback Trent McDuffie, two pass breakups. One of them was a, a highlight real play, huge play in the game. George Karloftis, pass rusher, one sack. Brian Cook, pass, pass breakup and created an interception. Sky Moore, the 29-yard kick return that was literally the difference in the game if if they start off back in that field back at maybe their own 30 yard line they probably can't move it far enough to get into field goal range to win that game and so you're talking about really impact plays from your entire rookie class for the bills against the Bengals. four tackles for Kyrie elam 40 scrimmage yards for khalil shakir 13 for james cook 
DNPs for Terrell Bernard, Christian Benford, Balin Spector, Matt Ariza, and Luke Tenuta, obviously not even on the roster anymore. And so you look at those two things side by side and it's troubling. And, and the thing with Bernard is we were talking about this before the show. The Bills are, there's this like weird tug of war happening with um, their offense and their defense. And, and I feel like the offense is winning with the ability to adapt and be multiple and use different personnel packages and a bunch of players. And whether you want to argue that maybe that was the downfall of the offense, which, you know, I've kind of made that case over the last couple of weeks that they didn't have definitive roles for players. But on defense, I feel like they've been so set in their way to, to run this nickel defense. It's been so good for so long. But what happens in this league, Ryan, when teams have one look out. to prepare for, they yeah. figure it out. And not being able to get Terrell Bernard any type of action during the season outside of that one start where you're like, whoops, we got an injury. We've got to push this kid in who hasn't played all season and throw him in the deep end of the pool. I just, I don't necessarily know if that's the best model for success with your rookie class. Yeah. You know, scheme matters. And then, like you said, you get figured out after a while, if you're running the same thing over and over again. And if you look at the AFC championship game, both defensive coordinators are not saying that either defense is bad, but there's holes on both Cincinnati's defense and Kansas city's defense. But they mask those holes well because of the pressure that they send, the looks that they give, the disguised plays. Uh, and the Bills weren't as good uh, at doing that this year, whether it's because of some injuries that took place to significant contributors. It's a possibility. Uh, but th they're doing less with more, it feels like, with some of these rosters and some of this coaching uh, where the Bills are just, okay, we know in the regular season that this nickel defense can get us into the playoffs. Uh, we have enough talent to maybe win win a few games, or maybe they feel like they can win it all, obviously, with the talent that they have. But their lack of flexibility, versatility on defense has loomed large in these last three playoff losses. And Scott Blakely says, regular on YouTube, what's up, Scott? It's ridiculous how the Bills slow play the rookies. Goes to show how the coaching is so in the past. Teams don't do that. Wake the F off or move over. <laughs> and listen, there's a good sentiment there, and I think that there might be some education happening for the Bills. It was uh, you know, Sean McDermott, uh, the week of leading up to the Miami Dolphins game, he was asked about Kyrie Elam and the rookies in general, and he's and he kind of just like had a bit of a sidebar for a moment and said like you know just different today. Like rookies have to play so much more and contribute to your team, whereas even a few years ago you'd, you'd probably only have your first round pick who was having any type of meaningful role. And I I feel like that was almost like an admission from Sean McDermott that maybe that the Bills do have to get more with the times. You look at the the Kansas City Chiefs; they've relied on their rookies all season long. They've thrown them into the deep end of the pool and they've done it not only on their, we're, we mentioned a lot of secondary players. I mean, they, what a smashing success this last draft was for the chiefs in their secondary, but also on their defensive line. I mean, Saunders, um, they got a couple other players. Um, I don't have my, I don't have the uh, depth chart off the top of my head, but Good, solid players that they found in the third, fourth, fifth, sixth rounds over the last couple of years, they've developed and they all played an important part in overwhelming that Cincinnati Bengals banged up offensive line that the Bills defensive line with two second round picks of a first two first round picks and then another first rounder and Ed Oliver. They just had no answers. None. And they couldn't move that offensive line. They were getting pushed around all day. 
it's the difference between the teams, the, the ones that uh, can develop the talent and, and the ones that are kind of the status quo right now. I, I think that you saw improvements from certain young players like AJ Epinesa and Greg Rousseau. I'm not sitting here saying that wasn't the case, but they were not difference makers in that divisional round. Uh, they were obviously both playing a lot better when Von Miller was on the other end, having to attract a lot of attention. In a game where you were going against three backup linemen and you couldn't create any push, you couldn't stop Joe Mixon from running the ball, clogging up those running lanes, it's it's pretty damning, I guess is the best way of saying it, where these were all high investments of Brandon Bean. These were guys that were, and, and then obviously, I, I know they didn't have Daquan Jones in the, the Bengals game, uh, but they did have Tim Settle. They had guys they brought in in free agency. Uh, you had Jordan Phillips, you had Shaq Lawson. It just wasn't good enough when it really mattered where you're seeing these other teams, the way they're developing, the way they're making these smart acquisitions. Like you mentioned with Hassan Reddick, the Bills need to get back to that. They they need to find some guys. Uh, offensive linemen, I think, is the number one concern for me personally. And, and like I said, get one guy in free agency that you can you can bring in a Ben Powers from Baltimore, uh, long from Tennessee off the top of my head. There's some guys that can come in and compete, if not just get the job outright right out of the gate for this team and improve the line, protect Josh Allen. And I think if you can protect Josh Allen, that helps with a lot of the issues on both sides of the ball, because if he's protected, they're putting up more points. Uh, that's going to help the defense out in the long run. So it, it's just little things like that, where they have to make some hits in free agency, and then they have to really uh, attack the draft this year. Don't be afraid to go up and get your guys. I think last year was more of a panic move to go up and get Kyrie Elam. Uh, after McDuffie went to the Chiefs, after they were aggressive, uh, I, I would like to see Bean just be aggressive like he was that first year going up and getting Josh Allen, making multiple trades before the draft and in draft to get him, moving up to get Tremaine Edmonds. And I get it was a different time. It was a different roster. Uh, but if you have a guy that you feel is going to be a difference maker in this draft, and I don't care what the position is, you go out and you get them. If it's going to be someone that's going to help you get one step closer to playing in the Super Bowl next season. Uh, yeah. So I was, uh, I was looking uh, up the, the chiefs defensive line and obviously Chris Jones, you mentioned it earlier. He's an absolute freak. And you know, you draft a guy like that. You, that's a win, right? You just, you put it in your belt. I mean, the bills have one, it's called Josh Allen. Right. And obviously sure. the, the chiefs have two, they got, they got Patrick Mahomes as well, but Derek and Inadi, Mike Dana, Kalen Saunders, all guys, George Karloftis, four guys on their defensive line that they've drafted, developed, and all played impactful, important roles for them in the playoffs. And you can't, you can't like overstate how important that is and how it allows you to then supplement in spots without having to overspend in free agency and over saturate your roster with free agency type players, because you can go out and you could bring in a Frank Clark. It's going to completely change the complexion of that defensive line because it's the only free agent you need because everybody else you draft it. Yeah. I mean, that, that's perfectly said, Matt, it, it comes down to the fact that if you're developing guys, well, you're not going to have to make a ton of splashes in free agency. It's, one difference maker here, someone else on, at another position, and, and you're good to go. You mentioned they get rid of Tyreek Hill this year on offense in Kansas City, and they replace them with Juju Smith-Schuster, uh, Valdez-Scantling. They, they make a trade at the deadline. They draft Sky Moore. It, none of these guys are superstars, at least you know maybe Sky Moore develops into one in due time. 
but it was more than enough for for Mahomes in this offense, for Mahomes to have an MVP season. Uh, and I get part of it's having Andy Reid. Part of it is just having a special player like Patrick Mahomes there. Uh, but but they're not having to take these big swings, and they proved that they could get rid of a player that uh, you thought was going to be a huge difference maker for that offense with him gone, but Travis Kelsey was still Travis Kelsey. The ball was still getting moved uh, on the ground through the air. Isaiah Pacheco, another rookie that they got in seventh round, uh, has become like their their top back. So, you know, just home run after home run in terms of draft picks, in terms of the way that they're replacing players and finding value and uh, addressing that. It's what the Bills need to do. Speaking of what you need to do, you need to head over to valuehomecenters.com right now. Get yourself hooked up. With, check out their latest uh, uh, ad. It's it's right there on the website. It gives you all the latest deals. You can sign up for their text program, which is uh, all you have to do is text VALUE, V-A-L-U, to 80692. And you'll start saving even more right now and receive exclusive coupons. Uh, get weekly deals like, like this one, a Sterilite 64-quart white latching storage tote for only $9.99. Get yourself a couple of those. See, you can never have enough storage totes, Ryan. I, I always do say that. Sonder Lintel Oak uh, three-shelf deluxe bookcase, $119.94 on sale. Delta Charmaine Chrome single-handle pull-down kitchen faucet with soap dispenser. You can get the soap dispenser, $199.97. Head over to valuehomecenters.com right now. They will hook you up. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I want to I paint a quick picture that I think is a little bit more bright. It's a little bit more cheerful. What is the path to fixing the Bills' offensive line? And I think that there is a path there. And I think that right now we're, we're living in a world where Spencer Brown was a year two disappointment, right? I mm-hmm. mean, for, for all intents and purposes, I think if you even 100%. talk to him, he would probably admit to, a, to a, that to a degree. In a, in a perfect world, Deion Dawkins is an upper echelon left tackle. Where he falls in line, top 10, top 12, that's to be debated. But I think you can rely on that player. If you bring back Mitch Morse, you're bringing him back because you think he can play an Aaron Cromer system, Ken Dorsey's offense, and be a version of the player that he's been. So then where are you going from there? I know a lot of people want to like you know sign free agents, draft. I think you need to draft three players. And I think you got to bring everybody back to camp that's on an affordable deal, not necessarily the Questenberries of the world or the Van Rotens, but you know, mm-hmm. bring in a bunch of 
offensive linemen through the draft, a couple of, you know, try to get some fines and free agency be active early on it doesn't have to all be the big fish either ryan like go get yourself those you mentioned ben powers guys like that yeah. that are maybe not going to break the bank but you can get in as a as a competitive piece and try to build this offensive line back up there's not going to be any big fish you don't have the money but i think you can make enough moves to add enough bodies where if aaron cromer can sink his teeth into them the guys that are returning you know, to Roger Saffold's point, he mentioned this in locker cleanout last week, like year two in the system is going to be totally different for so many guys that are still here. Just understanding the nuances of all the different techniques that he teaches. I think that to me, that's the path of a better offensive line. And it's not all doom and gloom and, and uh, you know, grim, if you will. Yeah. And Saffold said the same thing on social media. Someone asked him about the line. He said, you know, it was year one of a new system for a lot of the guys. He's the only one that, uh, really knew all the terminology, all the techniques, and he expects them to get better. You would you would have liked to have seen some improvement though throughout the season. Obviously, you know maybe they'd be on their heels early on in the year learning things, but you know, there was more regression than improvement. That being said, like you mentioned, you know year two, you're hoping to see improvements from some of these key players that you already have, uh, but make those swings in free agency. I mean, you know, there's even Dalton Reisner. I know. Reisner right now is a player that everyone remembers yelling at his quarterback yeah. uh, on the sidelines, but he was someone that the Bills did their due diligence on. I believe he actually uh, maybe was a pre-draft visitor for the Bills, if I remember correctly. I'll have to go back and look at that, but uh, maybe bring in a player like that that might not, you know, he was an above-average starter for Denver, um, but I don't know if he's going to break the bank right now, especially if there's people questioning him as a, as a teammate, things like that, but I see Osiris mentioned in, in the chat. He's someone I'm going to keep an eye on at the senior bowl. There's some center prospects. Mm -hmm. We've talked about the fact that, yeah, even if Mitch Morse comes back and you bring him back, draft someone and say, you're playing guard until, until we move on from Mitch Morse or until Mitch Morse retires uh, like the Eagles did. And, and it worked out for Philly. Why can't it work out for the bills? So th there are things that they can do to get on the right track. But first and foremost, a second year, uh, in Aaron Cromer's system, hopefully is going to help those guys improve. You know, we saw a lot from Ryan Bates the year before that when they matched the offer sheet. We've seen Mitch Morris be Mitch Morris, just the model of stability. You mentioned Deion Dawkins being a top 10, top 12 uh, left tackle or even just offensive tackle in this league, how good he's been. It's not a perfect line. There's some issues to be addressed. Roger Saffold has said numerous times he wants to come back, but he regressed this season, um, especially if I would say from the midpoint on, are you going to bring him back? Are you going to go young? What are you going to do? I still think though that there's, it's not all doom and gloom for this offensive line. They can bounce back and maybe it's just one or two pieces is all they need. One free agent, one draft pick, and maybe they're, they're firing in all cylinders this year or this upcoming year. You said a lot of stuff, uh, pregame. Uh, what do you want to get into next year, Ryan? In a, any other moves that stand out to you besides restructuring Josh Allen? I saw, I want to say it was a Bleacher Report article, Matt, and, and they were looking at potential moves that the Bills could make to help with their cap space. And I want to say the moves they suggested were uh, cutting Naheem Hines, which I think would be a total disaster if you just traded for him. That would, that would just look like it was a bad move. Right. Uh, Tim Settle, moving on from him, you could save a right. little over $2 million. And I might have been Mitch Morris, which, yeah. you know, I know that's $5 million, game to play. That's a dangerous, game dangerous game. So, I mean, if you go out and find a, a Creed Humphrey type of player that you're going to bring in, let play from day one, 
okay. Like I, I kind of get that. I like the idea of, of bringing back Morris and drafting somebody that's got some guard flexibility that you can have learn next to him while, you know, you don't have to throw him into the fire. Cause one of the big things is everybody's not built to as a rookie to come into the league and start at center. And especially for a team with expectations for a complicated offense, like it's going to have to be the right player because what do we hear from every single player that talks about this playbook is how complicated it is, how overwhelming it is at times. So I think to me, Mitch Morris probably has one more year and maybe you can, you know, move some stuff around and, you know, maybe extend him, put like, um, or like convert some of it and then make like a, a dead year in 2024. They've done that yeah. in the past. Um, there's probably something in Brandon Bean's back pocket with Morse. Von Miller, you can, depending on what you think about that, that's a little bit dangerous because like, okay, right now he's under contract through his season that where he'll turn 36. Are you confident that if you do a restructure that might put guaranteed money into thir- this 37 season, that he's good to go, that you're willing to have him on the books for 15 to 20 to 30 million um, in that season worth of dead money. That's a, that's a gamble. So I almost wonder if, and then also the digs factor, a lot of people mentioned him. He's got that big contract number. How much are you going to restructure him? I mean, he's only going to probably start to descend as well. I mean, receivers don't get better once they hit 30. Uh, It's usually starting to, to regress a little bit. Yeah, these these are the tough decisions that need to be made. Um, and Brand, this is why Brandon Bean gets the big bucks and that front office get the money that they do. I'm sure they already have a list of potential moves to do internally. Uh, there's going to be some tough decisions to make, though, and probably some cuts on both sides of the ball. Uh, you, you could look at an Isaiah McKenzie, say, you know, we already have enough uh, of these slot players. We believe in a Khalil Shakir. We can get rid of someone on the defense side of the ball like a Tim Settle. They're going to be able to free up enough money to to be active in free agency to get one or two guys that they feel will address needs immediately. But they really need to to also remember the long term, like you said, you you can't make moves with some of these older players knowing that they're they're more likely going to be on the decline sooner rather than later. You don't want to be on the books for those types of contracts uh, two or three years down the road. We got a couple of questions. Uh, I want to kind of get into them here uh, because they're fair. One of them was, I don't have it right directly in front of me, but I remember the idea behind it. And the question was because of Josh Allen is Brandon Bean kind of dubbed this great GM, maybe um, inaccurately because of Mm -hmm. the question marks that we've talked about with all of these players. And so uh, this is probably a, a, a multi-layered conversation, but I would say my initial answer to that is emphatically no. Like I, I think that the buzz around Brandon Bean, around the league, the kudos that he's gotten for the job that he's done building this roster, I, I think that it's all real. I, I think that they've gone out and they made to me the most impressive piece. Like what, 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 what does everybody say when you're building a roster, right? Like the, the experts, you, you can't overspend in free agency. It's a, it's a, it's a roster killer, right? Like if you spend mm-hmm. too much, if you don't draft well, it's going to hurt you. Now, listen, have there been some misses in the draft to this point? 100%, right? And you could probably even put Ed Oliver into that category. We've been really critical of Ed Oliver, right? He's still been a really, really good starter for them. For yes. four seasons. And I, I I know you want a little bit more splashiness. I, I You can say the same thing for Tremaine Edmonds, but they've been key cogs in a defense that has been among the league's best 
for multiple seasons. He got the quarterback uh, number one. Hugh. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, just, they don't finish reading it. I'm not going to say his name. He said Josh Allen is overrated. Obviously a troll account if you just look at his. As a matter of yeah. fact, listen, everybody thinks they're they're cute, they're funny. Block. All right? Don't be bringing those, uh, those goofy uh, names into the chat there, fella. Um, I almost said it, Ryan. I was this <laughs> close. So that's the first part of it. The second part of it is I like the shifts that he's made when he's realized an area of the roster needed significant um, upgrade, right? Mm -hmm. Like the defensive line was not working. Okay. They went the Carolina Panthers route, bringing in Vernon Butler, Mario Addison. They pivoted off of that and they went hard in the draft. Did the draft picks work out? No, I will give him a little bit of a pass on AJ Epinesa because of when he drafted him, that COVID year was funny. I think that, you know, you, you get out of that draft, you give up a first round pick, you get Stefan Diggs. I think ultimately that is a massive success. And I've, I make the argument that sometimes you, when you have the roster this good, you don't even need to use all your draft picks. Use them to get the guy specifically that you want. That's the thing to me. If Elam was high on their board and they wanted him, Greg Rousseau was high on their board and they wanted him, fine. But to me, the better play would be like if you love McDuffie, and I'm not saying McDuffie's better than Elam. We'll see. I mean, it's year one. We'll see how that plays out. But I can tell you right now, it looks right now like Jalen Phillips is better than Greg Rousseau. So if that is the case, and again, we're early. This might look completely different in five years. If that's the case, if you love that player, and I remember going back to that draft, hearing some things that the Bills did really like Jalen Phillips. Go up and get your guy then. Like, and that's to me, you look at this draft, you're sitting there at 27. You're going to be in the range of, you know, 10-ish picks that if there's a guy that you like that falls to a spot, don't wait. Go get him because you're going to want to get a guy that you can plug in day one at a position, whether it be on the offensive line, defensive line, or secondary now with the uncertainty around Jordan Poyer. Draft him, go up and get him if you have to, and then play him. So if you, if you like Kyrie Elam as much as you did, what was this nonsense all year with the play him, not play him thing? I, I, I don't get it. Yeah, no, and, and I'm right there with you about go up and get your guys. How many times have we seen, you know, the Bills having to sweat things out and hope that someone would fall into their lap? And it's worked sometimes. Uh, and Cody Ford's not a great example because of the player he was, uh, but they wanted Cody Ford and they thought that uh, the Panthers were going to grab him and it ended up being Greg Little. We've seen other instances where they've they waited for Zach Moss. Again, not a great example in terms of uh, the player himself, but they were able to get him. But if you really like a player, if there's someone you really want, go and attack that position uh, by leapfrogging some potential suitors. It's not always the teams that are in front of you. It's teams that are behind you, teams that are early on in round two uh, that say, hey, I think Buffalo's going to go after this guy. We need to kind of get ahead of them if we want to grab the you know player X, Y, or Z. So the Bills need to start being a little bit more aggressive in that regard, too, because I do feel like, uh, and again, I don't have any inside intel that McDuffie was their guy, but from a perspective of skill set and this defense, McDuffie seemed like the perfect cornerback in that draft class for Buffalo in round one. And then you have Kansas City move up to get him, and, and the Bills, you know, maybe they had a scramble and they said, okay, we still like Kyrie Elam. We'll, we'll get up, go up a little bit and get him. But was it a was that the case, or was it someone they missed out on? 
he's hit on the, to the original question. Obviously, Josh Allen is is the gem in terms of the hits. He hit on Edmonds moving up for him. But there's been late round picks too. Obviously, a guy like Tyler Bass, one of the better kickers in this league. Dane Jackson, he might not be anyone's favorite player in the chat, but uh, he's been a reliable cornerback for this team, whether it's cornerback two, whether it's going to be the top reserve, whatever that role is. Uh, he's found, he, you know, you saw Greg Russo double his sack total in year two. You're hoping he continues on that ascension. AJ Epineza had a career high, I think six and a half sacks uh, this year. So they might not be superstars. They might not be developing at the pace or rate that you had hoped, but he still is doing a fair job in the draft. He, he needs to have a really nice haul this year. I'm not disputing that, but no, I don't think that one player, that being Josh Allen, is covering up Brandon Bean as a bad GM. Um, a lot uh, we still have to get to, and don't worry, we have a long offseason to to do it in. Uh, I, I was just looking up uh, Tredavious White's contract. That's a conversation that we're going to have to have at some point mm. this offseason because I know that there's been people pitching trades, people pitching, you know, when can the Bills move on? You know, obviously didn't look like the same player uh, coming off of the injury. And listen, that's the way that these things go. I, I would imagine with a full offseason, we're going to see uh, a lot different Tredavious White in training camp and into the season next year. But really, you are locked into that deal at least next year probably the next two years because 23, his cap hit is 16 million dead cap hit of 22.9. So you can't, you can't, you're not going to eat that 22 million 24 is cap hit 16 million dead cap hit of 10.3. Brandon Bean hit eating $10.3 million. Um, And of course, Scott, we're definitely giving Tredavious white night. Nobody's suggesting that, but I do think, you're going to have to pay extra attention to this as you continue to build this thing. And okay. Is that where you want the money, the allocation, the resources spent when you're trying to do so much? You know, one thing that the chiefs did that I thought was really brilliant in their build was they said goodbye to Charvarius Ward, who was their CB one for multiple years. Let him go sign a free agent deal with San Francisco. He didn't make the same money as Tredavious white, but the point is kind of similar. And they just went out and they brought in a bunch of rookies, had them go through their, their struggles. I mean, remember that early in the season, Ryan, the chiefs defense was awful. I mean, we're talking about, is this a playoff caliber defense? I mean, we could have brought Jerry Sullivan back to ask, Steve Spagnola about his defense. And this is this a playoff defense. Lo and behold, in the AFC title game, he gets them to the place where they were. And they say goodbye to, to one of their key starters. And they've, they've done it before at, at different positions. Yeah. And I, I don't want to call it the Patriot way, but it reminds me a little bit about the way the Patriots did things when they had Tom Brady, Richard Seymour, for instance, they said, we're not going to pay him that, you know, big money. We're going to trade him away. We're going to move on from players. Uh, we're not going to resign certain players. We only have so much money and we're, and we're not going to be big spenders. They really were never big spenders at most positions uh, up until they, tr- they ended up signing Stefan Gilmore in free agency. They, they always said, as long as we have Tom Brady, we can kind of work around the holes on this roster. And for many, many years, it worked for them, and it's working for the Chiefs this year. They're in the Super Bowl again after getting rid of their top corner, after getting rid of their top receiver via trade, mind you, when it comes to uh, Tyree Kill. But they're, they're find, you know, finding ways to get it done. Now, uh, eventually, Travis Kelsey is going to slow down, and that's going to be a whole other issue for that team in terms of 
uh, how it's going to work on offense. But you have to have faith that Mahomes would figure out a way to still be a extremely productive. There's no reason for me to believe that wouldn't be the case. So th- there's obviously different ways to go around these roster builds, but may- maybe you do have to avoid getting locked into so many of these bigger long-term deals uh, that the bills did when they were trying to, you know, I don't want to say go all in because that's not the case. They're trying to be smart about this, stay in that Super Bowl window for as many years as possible, but they are locked in and a lot of players uh, into some big contracts. We're so appreciative uh, of all of you for being locked in to shout a Buffalo football podcast on this Wednesday night. The Staples Show uh, brought to you by Tops Friendly Markets. Uh, let Tops do the work for your game day or tailgating spread with the Super Bowl coming up in a little over a week. Uh, perfect for game day or any day. Visit Tops' Carryout Cafe for hot to go fresh large cheese and pepperoni pizza, $14. Jumbo chicken wing 10 count, $14. The Tops legendary breakfast pizza. Get yourself a large for $20. Pizza or taco log, six count, $7.69. Baby back rib sections, $5.99 a pound. Sub sandwiches, wraps, apps, sides, and so much more. Visit topsmarkets.com slash red zone for the complete menu of ready to enjoy fan favorites. What do you think? Final thought, Pro Bowl? <laughs> Final thought, yeah, Pro Bowl. You know, kudos to the Bills that uh, made the game and are actually playing in it. Uh, but I don't blame Josh Allen one second for not playing due to injury uh, and yet playing at Pebble Beach this weekend. Uh, the, the game has been, and it's just the Pro Bowl games now, so it's not even the game anymore. It, it's become a joke. It's It's not what it once was where, You saw competitive games, players trying these last few years before they switched over to this new mode uh, was just everyone kind of hugging each other, just staying back, letting them throw it down the field, do this, that. And it it took away the entertainment factor. Uh, So maybe the Pro Bowl games will be entertaining, but, you know, the the Pro Bowl is just no longer a measure of the best of the best anymore based on some of the players, uh, Bill's roster included, who are in this game. What was the Pro Bowl moment? Was it Scott Warman just getting absolutely blown up, or did he blow somebody up? What was that? There was like a big hit in the Pro Bowl that one year. Was it was Mormon yeah. involved? Yeah, Sean Taylor. Sean Taylor ah, destroyed him. Yeah, I enjoyed yeah. that. Yeah, there was but, no offense but, to Mormon, but I enjoyed no. that. But but there are even like the competitions the day before the Pro Bowl and Mormon like ran in like the fastest player race, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. And stuff like that was fun too. And the game was still competitive. You still had hits like that. Um, I don't want to sound like one of those back in my day guys, but that's what I'm starting to sound like. The Pro Bowl just lost its luster, and I'm not sure these games are gonna bring it back. I, I hope that they are. I hope that they're entertaining. I hope that it's something that going forward they can they can work with though. Everybody loved Uncle Tony's segment. Yes. Um, we didn't get to four of his questions. So he sent them in. We're not going to get to them all tonight, but let's do one before we go. All right. I think that'll be fun. Uh, he said, do you believe Gabe Davis can be the number two receiver? If not, would you pursue a receiver in the first two rounds or do you prefer an experienced free agent? And should the Bills have protected Isaiah Hodgins? He's six foot four and only 24 years old. I'll let you start. Okay, so a lot there in that question. Um, well, it's terms- up to Tony, dude. You know how he brings – he comes correct every single time. You know, Gabe Davis, I have more questions going into this season, uh, upcoming season, than I did going into last year. I thought 
that he was trending in the right direction. The drop rate is a little bit alarming. Stretches where he would disappear was alarming. He did deal with an ankle injury. I am not sold on him, I guess, is the best way of saying in terms of being a, a true wide receiver number two. I still think that there's a chance he develops into that and he becomes a, a solid number two receiver um, in terms of free agency versus the draft. I'm not sure what they're going to be able to afford in, in free agency in terms of a quality number two. Is there someone out there that's going to fit the budget that could truly be a number two? Or is it going to be someone that you're bringing in hoping can become that? I would much rather, I guess, pursue it through the draft. Uh, maybe look at a guy in round two, even round three, that would fit the bill. Someone that could be developed and, and maybe push Gabe Davis as a rookie. That's the way I would go about it. As for Isaiah Hodgins, let, let's just say this. The Giants didn't have much at wide receiver. They had very little. It was Richie James for a period of time where he was one of their top guys, Darius Slayton. Um, and then, you know, Hodgins comes in because they are very weak at wide receiver and he gets opportunities. And listen, he balled out. He did a great job for them. Knowing Dable's offense, though, obviously helped him. Uh, having the talent gap that they had in New York helped him. I'm not sure it would have been able to, he would have been able to replicate that with Buffalo. And I, that's not maybe fair, not fair to Hodgins to say that, but the bills evaluated him year after year after year. And there's a reason why he couldn't make that final cut. They didn't feel comfortable getting him onto the field on a regular basis. We'll, we'll see what his role looks like in the future when, when the giants get better or, you know, if he, if he lands on another team in the future, what the surroundings look like. If he continues his ascension, then yes, you can ask a lot of questions of this coaching staff as to why. But right now, I'm not overvaluing what I saw because of the lack of talent on that Giants roster. Yeah, I mean, and you look at day three, and outside of Gabe Davis, you know, Brett on YouTube brings it up, Marquez Stevenson, Isaiah Hodgins. I mean, you got to you got to eat those yeah. L's if you're if you're Brandon Bean at this point. They're not on the roster, and we'll see what happens with Stevenson. I don't know where he finished up. Would I think he might have finished up with the Colts. Either way, you know, it's it's the kind of position where, you know, sure, you, you hit on Gabe Davis. It looks like you quasi-hit on Khalil Shakir. We'll see how that continues to trend. But some other players, not so much. So I do think, to the first part of his question, you get aggressive here on day one, two, wherever it is. See the player that you want. Go get it. And, 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 and find that player beforehand. Like, I remember, like, seeing A.J. Brown and D.K. Metcalf falling in that draft and just being like, how are teams not just – running to the podium to call out their name and team after team and the bills, they could have, they could have sat at 40 and just picked them instead of trading up for Cody Ford. And it is what it is. But yeah, I I do think the bills have to address wide receiver in the draft. 100%. I think that's going to be important. I mentioned the free agency stuff. We'll get more into the free agency part of it later on, because I want to really go through some of the free agent wide receivers. I think the bills definitely have to sign a free agent wide receiver, but I think Gabe Davis could still be wide receiver too, but I don't think you need to, as an organization, not bring in somebody else to save the job for him. I think you bring in as many people as good as they, as, as you can get and then make Gabe go and earn it. Like that's, Mm. you don't want to like provide lip service, right? Like what's Sean McDermott say? Everything around here is earned. We don't hand out jobs, right? Uh, Brandon Bean said it in his post uh, season press conference about Spencer Brown. We're not handing out jobs right now for next season. This is a third round pick that started most games in his first two seasons. So you want to get as many good players in and then let them earn the jobs. But I'm not ruling out the chance of Gabe Davis, who at, at his highest peak of a point 
over his first three seasons has been really, really good. Yeah, absolutely. I'm right there with you, Matt. There you have it, Uncle Tony. Hope you enjoyed it. A couple more questions. We'll get to those on the next episode. Thank you so much for watching. We appreciate all of you guys hanging out with us for almost an hour on a Wednesday night. Like and subscribe before you go. Head over to Tops. Get yourself hooked up uh, for the game. Uh, no games this weekend. I don't think anybody's watching the Pro Bowl. We'll see. Maybe. And then uh, uh, stock up for the Super Bowl. Uh, we can't wait. Oh, announcement. We're back at Wingnuts. It'll be our third live event at Wingnuts. Uh, it's going to be the night before the Super Bowl, Saturday, uh, 7 p.m., the night before the Super Bowl. Talk a little bit about the game, obviously some more Bill stuff. Maybe we'll have a guest. We'll see, uh, but it's going to be fun. Uh, for Ryan Talbot, I'm Matt Perino. See everybody soon. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot.